Well, hello there. My name is Matt Lebon. I'd like to welcome you to the Foodscaper podcast, where we have conversations with edible landscape professionals. I want less CO2 to be pumped into the atmosphere, and I want jobs around that industry. Chris, thank you so much for coming back to join us. We are eager to continue the conversation here, so we'll jump back in. One of the things that I think about in terms of the future is not just all of this vertical gardening and vegetable gardening that's happening, but more of what we call at Custom Foodscaping, like edible landscaping. And I'm just curious about your thoughts on the whole world of perennial agriculture. And, you know, when, when somebody says we want, we want to install an orchard and an asparagus patch, and we want perennial ground covers, and we want to manage rainwater, like, do you all do that? How do you, how do you draw the line for what you no, it, it's do? No, it's really bandwidth. And, and, and good thing I have um, much uh, more, uh, I don't know, rational or calmer people around me than me because I'd be doing it all. And we do sort of do all of that. So we certainly do perennial plantings of asparagus and strawberries and brambles and fruit trees and and fencing and irrigation systems and soil amending for all of that stuff and pruning. But you know, pruning and and and, and wintertime crop protection are year round work for us, right? So we want to do the the perennial crops or permanent cropping, uh permaculture stuff as much as possible. And it's interesting you talk about one of our customers, uh is called the Green Cities Company, and they're also a B Corp, and they are a private equity company that invests in real estate, and they're just a fantastic group of people that are so forward-thinking. It's really refreshing to sit down with real estate people and, and have a conversation uh, with them about the future of sustainability, and they have a rooftop garden, and they just were so encouraging for us to do all of their landscaping, including their perennial landscaping on the rooftop, that we did it. So we we pulled out all of these non-native grasses and and all of these other you know imported buxis and 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 uh, you know arborvitae and other sorts of things and planted in you know a, a a local plant palette and you know again local can be difficult to find but regional and a bloom chart and a plant palette with that and it's really going well. And we do it in other places. So we do ecological landscaping in other places. And again, I do see it as a part of our business. It's going to help us bridge the gap in many areas. And it's sustainable. And it's the right thing to do. So it's really to launch that completely in kind of the way we're, we're growing the business now. It, we don't have a concert. We don't have a designer in-house and stuff right now. But we could see that happening for sure. We work with wonderful outside designers, Verdant and, and others. Interesting. So if you get somebody who says, I, I want like a food forest, you have somebody else outside the company design that? Uh, well, no, it would depend. No, we can we can do a layout. But if somebody wanted hardscaping and pavers and retaining walls and rock walls and, you know, and that sort of stuff, uh, we would probably want to work with a designer a bit. But no, if it's a simple, if it's an orchard layout or planting, you know, with beds, we, we do all that. We make simple layouts as opposed to that extra um you know there's this there's not a ton of room in this for uh you know if a customer wants to have a significant landscaping project done around their entire house or property we would work with a with a with a landscape design company and perhaps even a landscaper yeah that makes sense i love that you're willing to draw a line somewhere and just and figure out where somebody else could be 
of, uh, you know, fill that gap in terms of stuff that you all may not do. Right. You mentioned earlier that you are an idealist. And I, I think that one of the ways that, that, that manifest is by the fact that you all said you're employee owned. And I'd love to hear a little more about that. Have you always been employee owned? How did, how did you do that? No. So we are actually, I could have mentioned this earlier. We are in a partnership with a company called Tanamara and Ansel Fresh Foods, and they're based in Salinas, California. And they are a large grower shipper of organic uh, and sustainably grown vegetables, mostly. They also are involved in the seed business, and they're also involved, interestingly enough, in in robotic mechanical cultivation. So they have a machine that attaches to a tractor and uses cameras and little knives to kill weeds called Stout Ag Tech. Three Star Lettuce is the name of the lettuce company. They're also involved in automated planting with a company called Plant Tape. It's simple to, similar to the paper pot planter, and uh, but it's a larger machine that attaches to a tractor. Um, and a lot of this has to do with... Um, with uh you know labor shortages and things that are going on in um in agriculture the reason for these uh so they are a family-owned company i was a i had been working with the antel family for 20 years um over the years longer now i guess prior to joining green city growers and they see uh what we do as important in engaging the community um in uh food systems and helping the community to understand the realities of of what farming and agriculture really is, particularly in a place like Massachusetts, Matt, where where there is, I think, a lot of misinformation around what the food system actually looks like. I mean, let's face it. So, for example, probably 95% of what we're eating in Massachusetts, if not more, is coming from outside the state of Massachusetts. But I think people have very strong opinions about what the food system is and certainly what the food system should look like without necessarily having the domain expertise to speak on the subject. And so it's a great opportunity for us to get consumers, right, and community people to to understand more about uh, what the future of food can look like. So Tanner and Antle is an ESOP. And so by their participating, being a partnership, having ownership in Green City Growers, we became an employee-owned stock option company. And so what does that translate to for the folks who work at Green City Growers? Like what kind of unique work situation or benefits do they have at their disposal? So, so, so it's really about profit sharing, right? So there's, there's a class of shares that now employees after they work, I think it's a thousand hours uh, over any 365 day period of time, start accruing ownership in the company. And there's a base, there's a, there's a portion of ownership of the, of the, you know, that is owned under the ESOP. So these shares are, you know, the, a large portion of Tanimer and Antle and us are put into and uh, shares. So as the company grows in value, those shares grow in value. Where would somebody who's fascinated by this and wants to learn more? Go? Great question. Great. Type in ESOP on the internet and look for a .org on there and you'll find some good legal stuff on that. So there's plenty of lawyers out there and things that are pitching it, but go online and type it, look for and find some, someone that talks about ESOPs.org in a, in a .org and vet it out. You'll find some stuff. It's really cool. It's a great idea. And it's, and it, you know, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? Absolutely. I think so many people who are passionate about foodscaping are also passionate about 
creating a new economic model that empowers the worker right, to feel right like on. they're part of the ownership right, conversation. Right on. There should be this, right? And and it's absolutely, absolutely the truth. Um, yeah. There, so many of us, I think, are are looking for like a more equitable economic structure yes. and one, one that's proven. And so as, I, I mean, I would love to be a part of something like that. And I, I feel like it's so commonly talked about and so rare to find. Yeah. Right. So I just, I'm super jazzed by that. I think that the, I honestly think the false bottom thing is kind of huge. Um, because I think that one of the huge barriers to scaling up the raised bed garden world is just crappy construction practices and giving a bad name to yeah, yeah. The, the industry because people aren't actually builders. They're just kind of gardeners. But you have to be a builder, you know, or you have to know someone who can get a really good model down, who understands what it is to build something outdoors and not just build something like a piece of furniture. Yeah. No, it's yeah, interesting. And those, yeah, I mean, that goes along with that. Those corner brackets is or those are really fascinating. I know a lot of, especially people getting into the field. If there's a prefabricated corner bracket that they can just simply, you know, zip together the wood without needing to worry about bracing and blocking and screws. You know, I think there's a huge business opportunity there for you all if you're custom fabricating that. I think that's like very exciting. I know I would love to buy some and try them out. And I think there's hundreds of other foodscapers who might similarly be interested. It's funny you mentioned, you know, because I never really said it out loud. Um, but you're absolutely right. You, you said it that the given the given whatever, given the industry a bad name is, I think, how you put it. But it's so true. So I, I just pictured myself like trying to sell a garden to a client and talking about raised beds and the image that might pop in their heads. You know, their neighbors, overgrown, weed infested, dug fur one that's fallen apart. You know, the Home Depot supplies, uh, you know, one, one that came off Craigslist or something. And, you know, we have that conversation a lot and like, oh, that's, really, you know, particularly with residential clients. You know, um, and that say, um, you know, wow, that's super expensive. I can get them here or there or, the, uh, or somewhere else. And we try to nicely say, we understand. And if you feel that's the route you need to take, go ahead and, and do that. And then, you know, oftentimes we get a call back. We said, by the time I got done with all this, uh, in fact, there's someone sitting here in the office outside <laughs> that had that circumstance. Like by the time they got done buying you know, all of the stuff and fabricating it. And then, you know, the quality of the product probably cost them more in the long run. But it's an interesting point that you, you've said it out loud that something I could probably sprinkle into the into the mix in the conversation is this is not, you know, and I do, I guess, but interesting point. I n never said that really out loud. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I think that your beds look beautiful. They look solid. Um, and I think maybe more, more importantly, they look really replicable and simple, yeah. which I think is so key for the people who are really excited about the programming aspect of all the work that you do. Because, you know, for some of us, like the the artistry and the construction and the woodworking is, is really going to be something that speaks to them. But for a lot of other people, it's going to be I, I just want to get the garden there so that we can make the magic happen. Interesting. Which is 
the planting. So let's yeah. create a very simple and transferable skill garden so that when new people come on, they can learn quickly and it's just more modular. It's interesting. Uh, Another thing you've given me here, a gift is that I hadn't really, because one of the things I always say is, you know, really trying to embellish a vegetable garden. And don't get me wrong, there's some beautiful embellishments that can be done. As I said, you know, the way beds can be built and 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 the, the the face and you know the edifice or whatever can be really done, nicely done. But the but the elegance is already there, right? The magic and beauty of a vegetable garden that's thriving is so wonderful that you that the to to try to make it more ornate. Uh, well, that's not necessarily true, but you know, it's it's already so elegant in its in in, in its uh, in its natural beauty, I guess. Yeah, I I love that. I love to hear that from you. I feel like sometimes I've heard from clients, you know, that 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 extra elegance is really, you know, they they really want that to make it feel mm. like it's a seamless integrated part of the landscape because we work with so many backyards yeah you're res you're predominantly residential predominantly residential right. and you all are predominantly commercial it sounds like yeah so about 20 percent of our business is residential sites and then the rest would be kind of equally split between you know institutional nonprofit schools after school programs and museums and 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 then the other half would be you know commercial which breaks out into you know uh, corporate campuses and restaurants and supermarkets and you know, uh, these sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, that's just completely blowing me away. And I think it will blow out all of the listeners away as well. This, you know, corporate and institutional inroad that you have made. Nobody else is doing that in this business that I've seen. I mean, at the level that you all not are. At the, not then, at the level. Yeah. Not at the level. But there's some and wonderful. And there's so much. With, with that continued education that you're providing and that support that your farmers provided ensures that they don't just become a big weedy mess. And, and, right. and there's that whole accountability. That's a big so. piece. And another thing that I recall kind of back to your um, bad rep comment earlier, early on when I started doing this, I would encounter some kind of, you know, hesitant property managers who are like, now what do we have to do here? Because what they'd experienced is, someone coming in and saying, Hey, you know, we're going to paint the fence together. It's going to be great. And you're going to do this and it might kind of work, you know, and they, you know, property managers, I mean, I, I'm a farm boy. I've learned more about real estate and business and stuff doing this since, you know, than I ever thought I would, which is great for me. It's a new learning experience for me, but the, um, among so many other wonderful things that have, this has brought me to, um, for myself. Um, but the, you know, the the fact that your property manager's got a leaky roof, tenants coming and going, they don't, they want to have a garden that's turnkey, and that is, looks good all the time and is maintained by a professional staff, right? They, there's, there's, you know, we're not, you know, again, and there's all different styles, but we know, you know, people have swag that they're wearing and they're not barefoot and, you know, this sort of stuff there's some you know level of decorum that we was required for we you know for certain clients right I, I guess it's a business and um and so uh i think that in our selling we're pretty quick to say hey we're going to need your facilities person up front you know to, we're going to need water from your landscape but after that you know we're, we're not going to be bugging you too much you know as far as the property management side of thing goes yeah that's that's huge i love 
what you said there about we're going to be, you know, have a professional staff. And I think that that is, that is the narrative that we're so needing. To is there, reverse. is there anything wrong with that too? Right. So, you know what I mean, Matt, I feel like we're having an authentic conversation here, you know, that there's nothing wrong with that. It, having a, uh, presentability that's suitable to the audience <laughs> in, in, in the case, you know, and, you know, as a business, we need to determine that it's just, you know, I think nothing wrong with it for me. Yeah. I mean, I want, I want jobs to, I want there you go. to I, be able to make a living doing this. And this is the world we live in. And you all are laying that out with that decorum you talked about and it, and it's creating jobs. I want less CO2 to be pumped into the atmosphere. And I want jobs around that industry that are going to be viable and long-term and grow and innovate. And in order to do that, we have to function within the norms of society, whatever that is. I mean, I, there's probably not the right language. We have to be able to operate at a profit. We have to be able to communicate, you know, in, in, the, in a language that businesses are going to understand many different businesses. I mean, I was telling you earlier about how Katie talks to schools it's so different. It's so wonderful for me to stand back and watch that because it's like these people are just so into what this is going to do for kids. It's so beautiful. I went to a special needs course last week. I'm like, man, we got to hire one or two of these kids next summer. I was talking to some of the teachers, you know, like just to come and do basic maintenance on these gardens at a wage that's acceptable. You know, this is a big part of and so community and bringing people together. And so, but the way she communicates with the schools is so is so different with the teachers and with the administrators whereas when we go to a corporate cell you know it's a it's a powerpoint right and and we're doing a site visit and it's like how do we get this done and let's get the po number it's not people are passionate right people are passionate everywhere people want to be recognized people want to be you know participating people want to do the next right thing I, human human beings are good and so i'm not trying to say that there's some some you know we connect with people at corporate as well. And there's like the green cities I was mentioning and many others, Bullfinch and, and Fidelity Investments is a customer. And, you know, there's plenty of major real estate companies we deal with where they're committed to figuring out how to do this. And they got a lot of balls up in the air. They're trying to manage a lot of different things. Wow. Um, I don't know how you're doing on time, but I, I'm super curious about, you know, you're talking about the... I'm good. Okay. You're talking about engaging a wider audience of staff and maybe you know bringing on somebody who's differently abled yeah um, yeah i'm curious if you all have been kind of pressed to address like race within the business um, and yeah if you've if you've taken that on head on oh it's, uh i want to be <laughs> i want people so I don't know how well I, 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 for me to know what it feels like to be systematically excluded something from something as a middle-aged white man is, is probably a stretch, right? To truly feel what it's like to be excluded um, because of my race or my, my um, abilities, intellectual abilities or, or where I come from or my religion or something like that. I just have always had a thing about, um, a rejection for injustice, I pull bullies and stuff. I mean, I've just, I, I've never, and, and so I, and I have such this, I, I mean, I've just learned the stuff about myself over time. I didn't know this, but 
I just have a great faith in humanity. So I think everybody deserves chances, <laughs> regardless of from whence they come. And so we want to bring people in that that are passionate about Green City Growers, that love Green City Growers, that love what we do, that are committed and smart and hardworking. And, you know, and, uh, and so I think that's the basis we come from. Is there conversations around the, I guess, whiteness of urban farming? Um, I, we have them, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, we will continue to try to be a part of, uh, of, you know, engaging different communities internally. You know, we do a lot of work in, in uh, you know, communities that are, that are underfunded and, and uh, areas in which, you know, food deserts exist and school systems and things like that. But there's a lot of work to be done, you know, when it comes to the, the, uh, the class of disabilities folks. I mean, I think that's something we can do, um, you know, like next year. And part of it for us has been like everybody doing everything. So maybe there's a little more room now for us to afford to bring in extra help is really what it's going to come down to. That can be, you know, assisting farmers on site to make sure, you know, the gardens are kept up properly and things like that. It's important to me. I, th I know it's important to everybody that works here that I work with. And um, there was one other point I was going to make around, um, yeah, like trying to figure out ways to work with local nonprofits. There's a great nonprofit called Groundworks. They have some urban gardens around us and we supply some plants and help them with rototilling some things in the garden. And there's just it's like high school kids. How cool would it be, Matt, that if in the future, it's not happening tomorrow, you and I both know this, but that in the future, you know, these kids are coming to, you know, the participating in groundworks in the summertime they go to college and study urban agriculture right and come back for work for a company like yours or like green city growers yeah that's that's the dream you know that we want to get plugged into i'm curious if you uh i'm blanking on the name food the the food justice nonprofit in boston food project yeah the food project yeah fantastic uh, organization i talked with the executive director um this winter and um, so, so the 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 what they're doing is such a wonderful and important thing, and it directly speaks to I think your initial question about diversity, um, and that is they are bringing people from disparate communities, putting them in these you know community gardens that have CSAs, and having them get to know each other, right? And I spoke to it a bit upfront about this community building and and. Uh, getting people together in a garden space breaks down so many barriers. We're so much more alike than we are different. And um, it's such a wonderful organization, the food project. And there are so many like that, right? How can we be growing this business? And I think training is key, right? So what we're doing is, is kind of, we're growing vegetables. And if somebody came from the food project and we've had them, we've also had people go to other things like new entry sustainable project and, and start up their own little uh, plot of growing. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think there's opportunities across the board. I think we need, what do we need? If I think about this for a section, second, so there's a little more structure to be happening here so that we can be systematic and engaging with, you know, these, um, organizations who are oftentimes spending a whole bunch of time fundraising and things. So the bandwidth for them to get engaged and put a real plan together. We, we pretty much meet regularly with Groundworks once a year and talk about what we could be doing, internships and things like that. We'll get there. 
Yeah, I love, I love that you're thinking about how we can help create that training and that pipeline. And I know I'm super curious about that because yeah, if it's really hard to hire people who are really eager, but like they haven't really grown things. So if they've gone through yeah. some of the programming at the food project and they know how fruits and vegetables work and they know how to use tools, you know, then hop on board. You're like, you're ready to hit the ground running yeah. but to teach people to do those basic things when there are so many people who do know how to do those things is, is hard. It is hard. And I think we, I think we vet for that pretty good now. There is a, like I said, I'm an idealist and we get people who could be very excited about it in concept, but then when it comes down to it, might not be exactly what they thought it was. A hundred degrees, you know, weeding a garden, you know, in this July, for example, um, you know, so we, we don't really run much into that now. Um, uh, hiring and staffing is a thing, you know, it's a, it's an ongoing thing, but, um, yeah, I mean, we have people who ask, they just want to work at specific sites. They would might reach out and say, Hey, I just want to work at Fenway park. You know, do you have that job? And we don't have that job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just laughing at just the idea of, of, you know, maybe it's, just the idea of like earning it, you know, putting in your years yeah, and, yeah. and waiting thank for you. the opportunity. Thank it's you. Just... Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I really, uh, makes me feel good to hear you say that because I feel like that's important. Everybody deserves to be, you know, everybody here gets to go to Fenway, you know, and it's really cool to be at Fenway park and working in a garden on the roof over there, you know, um, yeah, there's a part of it that's like a pride in watching your garden, similar to or analogous to watching your garden grow through the summer and, and harvesting radishes in 30 days and tomatoes in 130 days and learning about all that. And like, wow, I, I feel, and that bringing some sort of humility towards that process, like there's so much more going on out there than me, you know? Um, and I think, you know, hopefully we can be a part of that too, that there's a discipline and a respect for process and learning process that is earned. Yeah. That, that it seems like one of those harder to teach things, you know, that oftentimes happens at the home with parents where they instill an idea of, of, you know, working your way to your dream position a little bit and, or, you know, sometimes maybe that conversation is not happening. I don't know mm-hmm. if, if that's been part of your experience or if I, I, I don't have children, but I think your observations are, are astute observations. And, and again, I believe in human beings, you know, malevolence in human being is beaten in or whatever, you know, the, the human beings are inherently good and, and it's incumbent upon all of us to work with everyone to include them and not give up on, on, on our neighbors. And, and so, yes, I, we do run into that. And again, it's not a person deliberately trying to cause a problem, right? If I come from that position, I can be much more empathetic. And if I come from a position of empathy, I can be, I can be part of, I hopefully can be part of, um, of, you know, I don't know, helping. I want to help. I can tell. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. No, absolutely. I mean, you still got the the passion burning. 
No doubt. <laughs> no, 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 no question. No question about that. All right, man. Hey, thanks. All right. Have a great rest hey, of the week. Hey, thank you. All right, bud. Yeah, you do the same. See ya. Bye, Chris. Appreciate it. Bye. A shout out to a recent educational offering that we put out. Gabriel at Custom Foods Gaping created a rainwater harvesting instruction manual which is accompanied by tons of videos that are really easy to follow so you can learn the ins and outs of using locally available IBC totes for rainwater harvesting. Gabriel walks you through the specifics of plumbing, parts lists, and the nitty gritty details so you can install a rainwater harvesting system for a client. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Foodscaper Podcast. We will see you back in the Foodscape next week.